if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to kind of look at one verse. We're going to flip around and look at a few other verses as well. But tonight we want to talk about the prayer of adoration. Now you think about that. Think about young love versus old love. And some of y'all might get offended by that, but just hang on and listen to me for a second, all right? See if, see if I'm not speaking the truth. Do you remember when you were first in love, how you just couldn't stand to be away from each other? And now you're shoving each other out the door, right? I'm just kidding. You think about young love. Young love is the kind of love that they're so giddy around each other. Butterflies in their stomach. They can't wait to hold hands, right? Or, you know, you get the young boy who's sitting in a movie theater and he goes, oh, right? Some of you guys remember that. Young love is impetuous sometimes. It is, it's over the top. You'll see them out kissing each other in public and you're thinking, you know, go somewhere else and do that. Older love, we're more mature, Right? We're, we're fine. If we hold hands with one another every once in a while, that's good. We might put our arm around our wives every now and then, but then it, you know, gets a little sore on the shoulders, so we put it back down, right? <laughs> Y'all are going to stone me when I get out of here tonight. <laughs> but you think about it. I mean, when, when, you're in, when you're in love, you know, it's so funny. Young people talk about falling in love. Now, let's just be honest. That is the worst phrase we ever created, falling in love. It's, it's almost like you slipped up and it just happened, right? Uh, you don't fall into love. You, you just, you choose to love. In fact, if you understand God's definition of love, you understand you choose to love that person. And when you put the ring on their finger, what you're saying is, is you're forever mine. I choose to love you from this point on forevermore. You're the love of my life. Love. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Many of us, when we think about a relationship with God, sometimes we don't comprehend the mindset of loving God like we ought to. And Scripture is replete with messages that we need to be loving God, that we need to be loving Him above all things. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. In fact, we're supposed to have a love for God that looks like we hate people here. In other words, what that simply means is, is that we love God in such a manner that the love that we have for everybody else looks so small compared to our love for Him. So small. And so we need to understand that when it comes to that, there ought to be some love in the midst of our prayers. And that's what these prayers of adoration are all about. It's finding that area where we love God as we ought to, even in the midst of our prayers. So tonight we're going to look at three avenues to the prayer of adoration. Three avenues to the prayer of adoration. The first thing we're going to look at is the name. Let's just read the verse together first. In verse 9 it says, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the name, our Father. Now you, you think about this. When, when you were in love, how many of you ladies wrote out your name with their last name before you got married? Y'all ain't lying in church, are you? I see very few hands. I remember in, in middle school, I'd see girls writing out their names with the guy that they liked's last name. 
You know, they, there was something about that name. There was just something that was important to them. And so we, we wanted to imagine ourselves with them. And so we'd write out their name or write out our name, or the ladies would write out their name with the man's last name. And so, you know, there was something about a name. Now, you think about this, our father. Now, when I think about that term, that is an amazing term when we get to think that God is our father. I mean, to be honest with you, when we look at it, I, I hear people in the way they pray to God sometimes, and some people, they, they blow my mind away in the way they think of God, and you can get that from the very beginning of their prayers. There was a guy one time that said, you know, he just talked to God like he was a friend, and he would make the statement, hey, big guy in the sky. A bit irreverent, if you ask me. Our Father. Now, let's just be honest. I guarantee if you start to think about how you start out your prayers, you might find you start out your prayers the same way every time. How many of you start out, Dear Heavenly Father? You ever notice that sometimes we pray the same ways, even in our introduction? But there are so many names to God, and we're going to take a look at that in just a moment. And those names mean so much. He says, our father, now that name really stands out because when you think about father, in fact, you can think about a term in the book of Romans where he says, call him Abba, father, which is the equivalent of daddy, which is the idea of an intimate relationship with this father. But hopefully you picked up, I, I put a sheet out there of the names of God. Now, please understand, this is not a complete sheet of the names of God, okay? There's just there's four pages of it. There could be so many more, but I just wrote down several that are really just amazing when you think about it. Abba Father, he's Adonai, he's Dispotes, El Elyon, El Olam, El Shaddai. And I love that one, El Shaddai, God Almighty. When you think about God being all-powerful, when you think about him being almighty, you think about this. How, how many of you have rechargeable batteries, you know what I'm talking about? Rechargeable batteries. You got, you got a cell phone, you have a rechargeable battery, okay? So everybody in here probably has a rechargeable battery. Now you think about it. Here's the thing. Eventually, that phone gets down to what? It'll turn, the bar will turn yellow, and then it turns red when it's down to 20%, if some of you let it get to that point. And then you do what with it? You plug it in, because it's about to go dead. How many of you have ever just let your phone go dead? Okay, a few of you did. All right, good. Might just need to just set it down and let it go dead, right? But we plug it in. It's got to be recharged. The thing about God being almighty, when you think about this, is that God never needs to be recharged. He is the all-encompassing, all-powerful one that exceeds and grows and gives out power at all times, but never loses power. He's God almighty. And we go on. Look at some of these other names. He's Elohim, creator, Curios, which is Lord, Theos, God, Yahweh, I am that I am. Man, that's one of my favorites. One of my absolute favorites. Why? Because it means I've always been, always will be. Nothing's ever going to stop me. Nobody created me. I just am who I am, and there's nothing you can say about it. I love it. Now, here's the thing. You've probably heard them called Jehovah Jireh, but it's actually not Jehovah Jireh. They changed it to Jehovah so that they didn't use God's covenant name to use his name in vain. It's actually Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh Makachikom, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Roy, Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Shammai, Yahweh Sidkanu. Those are the names of God. When we look throughout scriptures, there's such beauty in those names. How about the names of Jesus? I love the very first one. He's our advocate. 
That means he stands before God for us. That means we are never alone. When the accuser, Satan, stands there to accuse us, we have an advocate who goes to battle for us constantly. Jesus is also called the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the Amen, the Apostle of our confession, author and finisher of our faith, author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He's the beginning and the end, the blessed and only potentate. Bread of God, bread of life, bridegroom, bright and morning star, captain of salvation, chief cornerstone, chief shepherd, Christ, counselor, creator, deliverer, door, eternal life, everlasting father, faithful and true, faithful and true witness, first and last, firstborn from the dead, firstborn over all creation, God. He is the good shepherd. I love that one, the good shepherd. And he watches out for foolish sheep, doesn't he? He protects us, provides for us, watches over us. He's also the great shepherd, the head of the church, heavenly man, heir of all things, high priest, holy one and just, the hope, the hope of glory, the horn of salvation. I like this one. He's the I am because he's God. He's the image of God. He's Emmanuel. He's the judge of the living and the dead, the just one. Look at this. King, eternal, immortal, invisible. Isn't it always interesting people try to, you know, try to figure out what God looks like? He's invisible. What does invisible mean? You can't see him. So why do we try to figure out what God looks like? Isn't it funny how we try to figure out what Jesus looks like too? I've seen so many white Jesuses that it breaks my heart. He's Jewish. He's not white. I go, it blows my mind. And guess what? He's going to have a Jewish nose. Sorry if you're Jewish. I hope I didn't offend you. But you just, you think about that. It blows my mind. We try to figure out what God and Jesus look like. And guess what? You can keep imagining. You'll never figure it out. He's the image of God. He's Emmanuel. He's the judge of the living and the dead. He's the just one. We go, oh, I'm sorry, I've already got that. King of Israel, king of the Jews, king of kings and lord of lords, king of the saints, lamb of God, last Adam, light of the world, lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the living stone, the lord of all, lord of glory, lord God almighty, the master, the mediator of the new covenant, mighty God, my servant, offspring of David, only begotten son of God, our great God and savior, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption, our our husband, our peace, our protection, the power of God, the prince of life, prince of peace, the prophet. Look at this one. The propitiation for our sins. You may say, well, why'd you stop on that one? Because you got to understand what propitiation means. You see, it always blows me away when people say, well, I believe that when Jesus died, he went to hell. Well, you can believe you're wrong. You're wrong. You say, well, what do you mean? I've always been taught he went to hell. Well, you're wrong. It's wrong. It's not scriptural. Not even close. How could he say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. He went to hell. I hope hell and paradise aren't the same thing because we're all in trouble then, right? That's not where he went. Why? A lot of people say, well, he had to go to hell to get the, de- the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Do you really believe there are literal keys to the grave? It was an image. You want to know where Jesus went? He went to heaven. Who was he paying? He was paying the sins of our salvation 
to God. The propitiation, which means he accepted the anger of God, the wrath of God for our sins. That's what propitiation means. He took our punishment. He took God's anger, God's wrath that should have been poured on us. And he went to heaven and he paid for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. He's the rabbi, the resurrection and life, righteous branch, rock, root of David, ruler of the kings of the earth, savior, son of David, son of God, son of man, son of the highest, the one mediator, the stone the builders rejected, the teacher, true light, true vine, way, the truth, and life, the wisdom of God, wonderful word, and the word of God. How about the names of the Holy Spirit? Man, I love this first one. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. In other words, if you thought you could lose your salvation, you're wrong again. How good is a guarantee? A guarantee is only good as the name, right? How many of you remember the old commercials for Midas Brakes? Anybody remember? They guaranteed their brakes for what? For life, right? So if you go get Midas Brakes, what happens? When your brake pads wear out, you do what? Take it back and they'll replace them. Now you've got to pay for labor, but they'll pay for the brake pads, Right? They get you on that one. A guarantee is only as good as the name. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee until the day of redemption, which means he dwells within us until God returns to take us home. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. It's never going to go away, and it never fades. That's who the Holy Spirit is, the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the helper, comforter, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of promise, Spirit of him who raised Jesus, Spirit of God, and Spirit of of truth. You might say, well, what does that mean? Okay, you went through all those names. Man, when you read those lists of names, if that don't get you excited, if that don't make you think about how awesome God is, and then he says you can call him your father. This awesome God who's magnificent, who's amazing, who's almighty, who's all-powerful, who created everything, he knows you by name, and he says you can call him your father. Man, if that's not love, I don't know what is. So when I think about a name, here's the thing. I, I try when I pray to start out my prayers in different ways, depending on what's going on in my life. I heard a guy one time when he was praying for the offering. And I remember just, he drew me in from the moment he started praying. He said, oh, great creator and architect of all that we see and know. I mean, I was like, Phew. I was all in. I'm like, what else you got to say, buddy? I mean, you imagine when you think about it, if you're going through hard times, why not pray to the God who listens? Oh, Father God who listens to all that we have. Oh, oh God, our comforter, our great counselor. Sometimes I'll use multiple names in my prayer. Why? Because when I think about who God is, it brings great comfort in the midst of those prayers. It shows that we adore him when we know him. That's how you begin a prayer of adoration. How about the location? Our Father, which art in heaven. Let's stop for a second on that one because immediately we have this mindset that God is resting on a throne in heaven, right? But the Bible teaches us that God is what? He is omnipresent. Which means he is everywhere at all times. 
which means you can't get away from him seeing what you're doing, right? I love Psalm 139. Listen to this beautiful passage here, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He just wanted to make it clear. I don't care where you go, I'm there. Now, why does that matter? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There were times in my life that I wish my parents would have been there when I was going through something. How about you? You ever had those moments? When I was 15 and I was in a car wreck, man, if my parents would have been there, there's no way they'd have let me got in a car with that knucklehead that wrecked. You know? Just no way. When I think about those things, the fact that God is there at all times, that God is always present, that God is always available, that he never ceases to be with me at all times, even when I mess up, even when I make mistakes, God is there. Even when I am in the saddest and hardest difficult time of my life, God is there. When I'm overjoyed and excited and things are going in the right direction, God is there. Wherever I'm at, whatever I'm in, what mood I'm in, no matter what, God is is there. Now it's interesting when you think about this because people try to come up with this mindset that God, you know, God is, is just distant. In fact, God is transcendent. Now you need to understand what that means. God is separate from and independent of nature and humanity. Now this is not in reference to distance because God is omnipresent, present everywhere. This is in reference to his character or holiness. God is holy and therefore separate from us in perfection. It's not saying that God is, is so holy. He's not, he came down to dwell among us. He's here with us even now. God is imminent. God's presence and activity within nature, human nature, and history. In fact, even Paul quotes some of their own poets in Acts chapter 17. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. You know, when you think about the very fact that people have this mindset, it's called the watchmaker theory. Maybe you've heard of it before. God created the watch, he wound it up, he set it down, and he's just letting it go. That the world is in utter chaos because God has nothing to do with it. That is so far from the truth. God is in everything. God is involved in everything that's going on in your life. And you may say, then why do bad things happen to me? I want to answer a very important question that is asked of me all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? And that's the question everybody wants to know. You want the answer, the short and simple of it? It's real simple. There are no good people. We're all sinful. We all fail. 
And because sin is in the world, bad things happen. And until we leave this place, and here's the truth, bad things happen to us because it makes us long for heaven even more. That's why bad things happen. Because this is not our home. This is a mere tent. We're just passing through. So if you ever think about that, the truth is bad things happen to bad people. And that includes all of us. That includes all of us. God is always present. God is always around. God is always available. That should make us love him even more. Finally, we look at the adoration. He says, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed comes from the word haggazial, to make holy, to attribute to God the holiness that already is. In other words, you're not making God holy. You're attributing to him what he already is. You're just agreeing with what he already is. Now, you think about this. We're, we're called to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the very first church that God writes to and God gets on to is what we call the loveless church. In Revelation chapter 2, he says to the, the church of Ephesus in verse 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have some, somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You have left your first love. Why is that important to God that we love him? Why is that the first and foremost of commandments? Why is it the first four commandments deal with our love for God? The first four of the Ten Commandments. Because God desires for us to love Him. In fact, if we don't love Him, we miss out on what God created us for. A lot of people don't realize that. We miss out. If you're living your life and you don't love God, then you don't even understand why you were born, why you were created. The Westminster Catechism asks that question. It says, what is, what is the purpose of man? What is the chief end of man? It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What a statement. We're called to glorify God. If you're not sure where that's found at, it's in Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I bring all those in who I've created for my glory. God's desire is for us to glorify him with our lives. To, and to glorify him, we've got to love him. We've got to desire him. We've got to exalt him and praise him and lift him up. And then when we glorify and we love him the way we should, we will enjoy life forever. It's true. I think about that woman that came into Simon's house when Jesus went into the house of this Pharisee. And he sat down at the table. And the Pharisee did nothing for him. This woman, more than likely she was a harlot. She comes in there. She kneels down at his feet. She begins to cry over his feet. And she takes her hair and she wipes them. And she kisses his feet. And then she anoints them. And all the while, Simon and all the other men are in there. And they're thinking to themselves, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't allow this. Really? He did know who she was. He did allow it. Because she adored him. She loved him more than her own glory when she let her hair down. She showed immense worship of Jesus at that point. And that's funny because Jesus asked Simon a question. He says, let me ask you a question. Who do you think would love more? 
A guy who was forgiven 50 or a guy who was forgiven 500, I think he, some sort of story like that where one guy forgave a tremendous debt and one was forgiven a little. And he said, well, the one that was forgiven more. And he says, that's why she's going to walk away forgiven. That's why she's going away right. Because she understands she's loved so much. You see, one of our greatest problems is we get too busy comparing ourselves with other people. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You better check again. Man, I don't measure myself by any other person. You want to know why? Because I can be better than a few and I can be worse than a few. But my measurement isn't other people. My measurement is Jesus. And until I attain to his perfection, I still have work to be done. Still have work to be done. But the great thing is, even in the midst of all that, God still loves me. I love that passage that says, we love him because he first loved us. There's no doubt he did, because we wouldn't be saved if he didn't love us. His plan, even from the very beginning, was to bring salvation down to this world, even before Adam sinned. That's love. That's love. I just wonder tonight, do your prayers express adoration when you cry out to God? I'll be honest with you, so often we, we treat God like a genie in a bottle, don't we? We rub the lamp, he comes out and goes, what do you want? And we tell him what we want, and then we put him back in the bottle. Man, if we love God like we're supposed to, we're not trying to keep him in a bottle. We're not trying to express to him all the time what the things that we want. Many times we express our thanks and our praise of God for who he is. This is the last message in a series on prayer. And I wanted to end with this one because when you think about it, these prayers so often are so far and few between. Because so often our prayers end up being about prayers about what we want instead of prayers about who we're praying to. I'm here to tell you, if you could just take time ever so often just to praise God for who he is. I really believe it will change the way you pray. And I really believe it will change the way you think of God when you pray. It will truly change your life.